and welcome to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning to all of you joining us locally by radio and streaming online. We appreciate you tuning in. Today is Sunday, November 5th, 2017, and I'm your host, Hertzy Hertz. I'm here to chat with Jordan, Stephanie Zavan, and Steve Shive to talk about the importance of platforms. In a world that's filling with questions of inappropriate behavior, how do we handle these issues as those who have a public platform to use? This is an open conversation, and we welcome and encourage listener interaction with your phone calls to 952-946-6205, your emails to radio at mnatheist.org, tweet us at Atheist Talk, or use the Facebook page Atheist Talk. The phone number is only available when we are live, but you can always email, tweet, or Facebook us if we're when we're listening to the podcast. I'm sorry about that. Jordan, Stephanie, Steve, good morning, and welcome to Atheist Talk. <laughs> good morning, Ertzi. Morning. Good morning. Awesome. So, the importance of platforms. So, I guess the first thing we should really, you know, clarify is what is a platform in this discussion? I can take that one. Uh, so, basically, a platform is any institutional way of boosting somebody's voice. Um, this show obviously is a platform when you have a guest on here you are giving them your platform you're putting in the work to develop a place where people come and listen on a weekly basis and when you have a guest you are turning over at least part of that to them um some people create their own platforms. Um, so, for example, I've been blogging for 10 years. That is my major platform. Um, conferences are platforms. Even our social media uh, presence, when we're sharing things on Facebook or Twitter, the following that we've put together is a platform. When we decide to share something, we are sharing that platform with other people. And speaking of platforms, Stephanie and Steve, why don't you guys take a moment to introduce your platforms uh, Steve, do you want to go first? Sure. I My platform is primarily uh, my YouTube channel. I make YouTube videos, um, but I'm one of the good ones. <laughs> we we um, will be getting I, to that at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> I feel like, I always feel like I have, I should, I should start with an apology whenever I say I do YouTube. I'm so sorry. Uh, but yeah, that, I, I, I make YouTube videos and I have a, a, a somewhat respectable following as a result of that. So that's my platform. <laughs> And Stephanie. So as I said, my blog is my main platform. I blog at Almost Diamonds on theorbit.net, which is a blog um, network that we put together, a bunch of us experienced bloggers, actually, in order to be able to give a platform to social justice and marginalized voices. Um, and I also have, um, at this point, I've built up a decent Twitter following over many, many, many years. Um, so that's a, a platform that I share. Same with, with Facebook. Uh, I also, working with the organization Secular Woman, have um, done a conference and at this point several years worth of workshop tracks at Skepticon called Secular Women Work, where we are specifically giving a platform to women and genderqueer people who otherwise don't necessarily get put on stage a lot. I was going to say, I think I went to that one, was it last year? 2015 was yes. the conference. And that was fun. That was a lot of fun. When's the next one? Hopefully next year. We're working on it. Well, let me know when the Kickstarter comes. Absolutely. And Jordan, do you have anything you want to plug <laughs> aside from the show? <laughs> Off the top of my head, no. 
Yeah, I was gonna say. I, I was I was afraid you were gonna ask me. It's like, do I have anything? I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I got nothing. Oh yeah, it's the same thing with me. It's like when it's like it's like I I do, I do this. <laughs> do not underestimate this. Oh, I don't know, Stephanie. I gotta poke a little bit of fun at you because I listened to your talk when you were on with Thomas Smith, and you said a little local radio show. <laughs> In terms of radio shows, it's small. As a podcast, it's bigger. It reaches a lot more people as a podcast. I know, but I, I was just like, we're not that small. <laughs> we're, we're, we're volunteer run. Hey, I actually have like multiple people to help me with this. <laughs> All right. Well, we should get back to the to the, our questions at hand. So, um, Steve, Jordan, do you have anything you want to add to Stephanie's definition of a platform, which I think was actually very thorough? So yeah, no, it sounded good to me. So I would I would just add that. Um, you know, platforms have existed for as long as there have been media, but I think the major difference that, that we have to face now and that we've had to face for the last 20 years or so, ever since the internet became such a, an integrated part of our lives, is that now pretty much anybody can have a platform. Uh, it used to be, if you, it, unless you had a radio show or a television show or a newspaper column or something like that, you, you didn't have access to a platform. But now the potential exists that virtually anybody can have one. Yeah, and I'm actually going to challenge you a little bit on that because I think that in the 1800s, people would print out pamphlets all the time. That's you know? a good point. And so it's like I think that it's we, we've kind of we had a point where a lot of people could have that platform because all they needed to know was somebody who would be willing to print it out, and usually you could find somebody or pay them. And then it kind of dipped with the television and radio, and now it, it's it's almost like maybe it's coming back. Well, and I think there's always been a tension because even even when newspapers were a sound business and the you know things like the Star Tribune were um, more of a juggernaut than they are now, there have always been things like alt-weeklies, there have always been zines. So there's always been some tension between independent media and the big organized institutional media. I totally miss World Weekly News. <laughs> <laughs> you want Bat Boy back? I want Bat Boy back. <laughs> It's like by the time I was old enough that I could actually like look at subscribing to it, it was already gone. And I was just like, dang, that is not, that's not fun. Uh, So here's a good question to start off with. What kind of principal goals should you be thinking about when you're starting your your YouTube channel, your podcast, um, even businesses? You know, when you're, you're starting to put this voice out there, it's like, what kind of goals should you keep in mind? Well, I think the most important thing to keep in mind, is, well, it's, it's two things, and they're, they're interconnected, which is what do you want to say and who do you want to say it to? You know, I think that's, those are two very key points. And what, what audience do you want to reach with your message? And what kind of supporters are you hoping to attract? You know, I think there's, if you, if you just say, well, I'm going to start a podcast – and you have no idea what the podcast, who you're going to be talking to or what your message is. You just think, well, I'm, I'm funny. I'm smart. I'm just, I have a microphone. I'm going to start a podcast. That's a very irresponsible way to go about it, it seems to me. And, and if, you, if your podcast or YouTube channel or whatever blows up and becomes incredibly successful, then you're left with this very far-reaching platform that – you know, where basically anything goes. And I, that's, that, that to me is not an ideal situation. I I think it's best to start with, with a a very narrowly defined purpose and to, and to know 
who you want your audience to be. And then once you attract an audience, if you're fortunate enough to do that, know who they are, know who you're talking to. I, I counter with the vlog brothers because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they had no, I, they didn't even really want an audience necessarily. They just kind of grew. But then those guys, those two guys seem pretty like good guys. So it worked out in the end yeah. for them. <laughs> I'm, yeah. ho- I'm hoping if I ever start my own personal podcast, it just kind of goes that way. <laughs> I I agree with Steve on the, the, I guess the talent perspective that he's giving, although I really found that trying to, when I was starting a blog, trying to focus on any one thing um, was completely stifling for me because I am, I, I am not a specialist in anything. Um, I'm kind of a, a, a weird generalist, but I'd a also like of all trades. <laughs> <laughs> many. Definitely not all. If I think all, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Um, but I'd also like to add an institutional perspective on that because a lot of the the platforms that I've been involved with have been working with institutions. Um, and so when you are an institution or working with an institution putting together a podcast or a conference or whatever, I, one of the things you should really do is go back to your mission and presumably you have one as an organization. If not, you're probably doomed to fail anyway, and your podcast or your conference isn't going to help. Um, but go back to that mission. Remind yourself what it is you're trying to do as an organization. And think about how you, know, how you structure your work, what kind of, of price point you want it to be at. That's more of an issue for conferences than podcasts. Um, think about who, I mean, think about when you're talking about your platform, who you're asking to represent you. Um, Because you can fail as an individual doing a podcast and not get an organization, but if you are an existing, or not get an audience, but if you're an existing organization, you can really mess your entire organization up by getting those things wrong. Oh, yeah. As a, and I know that many of our listeners know, and full disclosure, again, I am on the board of Minnesota Atheists, um, currently serving as their secretary. Um, that's a very important thing for me is making sure that we, you know, we keep a, a good eye on what kind of community we want to build. Because, you know, even in, in the YouTube and the podcasting world, you're building a community, whether whether you see it that way or not. Jordan, any <laughs> thoughts? <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> So here's an interesting kind of question. Um, oh, actually, we only have about a minute. So we'll just say the question and we'll work on it as we, on the next, after the break. Um, the next one is who decides who gets a platform, especially in this internet age? You know, it's like every, it's almost everyone can, can produce something. Yeah, that would be my short answer, honestly, is, yeah. is everybody. But of course, it, <clears throat> is more I mean, complicated. Yeah, I mean, you could just have a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you're pretty much, that's pretty much all you need right now, just to start out. All right. Well, please stay with us through the break, and we'll return to Atheist Talk with Jordan, Stephanie, and Steve. I'm Hertzi, and you're listening to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
welcome back to Atheist Talk. Uh, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota, you're tuned in, and I'm your host, Hertzie Hertz. Today's guests are Jordan, Stephanie, and Steve Shive, and we are talking about the importance of platforms. Before we get back, however, I want to remind everyone listening that immediately following the program, you can listen to American Atheist Viewpoint, an official production from American Atheist. Please note, you can always catch American Atheist Viewpoint by, to, by subscribing to the podcast version in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or the podcast player of your choice. As for the here and now, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation with us, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet us at Atheist Talk, or join us on our Facebook. So, we were talking about platforms, Um, and I know that there's one that's kind of been in the news lately with Netflix, um, and the Spacey and Masterson and such. Steve, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, the uh, it's interesting that apparently uh, Netflix has been very, very quick about cutting ties with with Kevin Spacey in in, in the light of, of all the accusations against him, which I think is very commendable of them. But for some reason, they don't seem to be acting as quickly uh, about Danny Masterson, even though I, I believe his the the allegations against him have been known for a much longer period of time. I, I remember, I think at, earlier this year, I, I read something about them, and uh, some of them date back to about 10 years ago. And I don't think it's it's been a secret that these allegations have been out there about him. But for some reason, no action that I've heard of yet from Netflix on that front. So it's, it's, it's strange how there's sort of a, you know, well, yeah, Kevin Spacey has to go. We, we want nothing to do with him. But, well, let's just wait and see with Danny Masterson. Well, when information started coming out from the set of House of Cards, um, we did actually discover that uh, at least the production company on the show knew that Spacey had done something like that before they had had a complaint uh, some years ago, I don't remember exactly when, and intervened with him and had everybody on the set go through harassment training, which honestly doesn't work very well, um, and sign agreements and that kind of thing. So they were also aware then, um, which both is a little bit of an explanation for why they're acting now, um, but also a how much were they willing to put up with that when it wasn't yeah. news? Yeah, I think it speaks to just how widespread the issue is. You know, that that I, I get the feeling Kevin Spacey was one of those figures in entertainment that sort of, like Weinstein, was an open secret that everybody kind of knew about. And it just took enough people speaking out before everybody who already knew about it decided, okay, we're not okay with that, you know? Yeah, it was certainly an open secret among uh, young gay men in Britain. I've heard from friends in that crowd. And Jordan, I think you said something about Masterson and Scientology. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I, I don't know. I didn't read um, all the way into it, but um, yes, Danny Masterson is a member of the Church of Scientology, and basically they're doing whatever they can to make that go away. Because um, whatever... I, what, whatever strange rules they have, they're calling like reporting him to the to the authorities. They call that a suppressive act, which is not acceptable in the Church of Scientology. That'll get you like 
kicked out of the church. So, yeah, they're trying whatever they can to keep that covered up. And, yeah. But, yeah, uh, Danny Masterson's case, I read, those go back to the early 2000s that he was first accused of that stuff. And I was going to say, and these unfortunate incidents don't just happen, you know, just in Hollywood. I mean, we also have the political standing of our... <clears throat> president who has multiple things and uh the republicans didn't seem to have much problems giving him a platform steve any opinions on that it it seems like it's a case of well when the other side does it then it's a problem but when our side does it it's not that big of a deal and that was I, i i i was i had a lot of people telling me last year during the election uh, whenever a big revelation about Trump would come out, th- th- there were always people telling me, look, it's not going to matter. He's not going to lose that many votes because of it. They don't really care. And I was I was one of the naive ones who was saying, oh, no, come on. Of course, this is going to totally destroy him. And turns out the friends whispering in my ears were right that they didn't actually care, that all they cared about was getting their guy to win. And they were willing to overlook pretty much anything else that they had to overlook. And it seems like that's the common theme when it comes to people uh, who know about folks who are accused of, or even if they know for a fact that they're guilty of this kind of harassment uh, and assault in many cases, is that they, they're willing to look the other way as long as they have something to gain by continuing to support the person, you know, the, the guilty or the accused person. Uh, so it seems like it's, it's, a common thread, not just in the political sphere, but pretty much anywhere that this problem exists, which is pretty much everywhere. Stephanie, thoughts? I There's not a whole lot I can add to that. I mean, that's dead on. The only thing I might add is that, you know, having something to gain sometimes means not having to think about what kind of people you're friends with, too. Yeah. It ranges from the political to the personal. Oh, yeah. And as you said, oh, Jordan, do you have anything to add? I'm sorry. Um, And as you said, it does range everywhere. And, you know, the atheist community does have their own issues with that, with Michael Shermer, Richard Carrier. Those are the two that pop in my head first. Um, And, you know, it was a big question. Steve, I don't know if you saw this on a Facebook group, but there's like a private Facebook podcasting group for atheists that I'm on. And this was a big question of whether or not we should... um, allow people to say, oh, by the way, I have Michael Shermer or Richard Carrier or I don't know if there's any others right now that are that's out, been outed, but, you know, should we give them this platform? And a large question of the rules came and, you know, it's like, how do, do should we even promote this? And Steve, would you consider having Carrier or Shermer on? <laughs> I would not have anything to do with them personally, no. Um, I, I mean, I'm sort of in a, a fortunate position as far as this goes, where my, my channel is not big enough that, that big names in the atheist skeptical community, they, they don't typically come for me and say, hey, can I be on your show or, you know, uh, but if that were ever to happen, I, I don't want anything to do with either one of them. Um, I think I've, cause I've, I've heard the stories, I've, I've read the accusations against them. I've heard both. In, in, in things that people have written publicly on blogs, like like uh, Stephanie has written about it, I know, and and other people who have told me things privately, uh, I just I want absolutely nothing to do with either one of them. And I I I get 
skittish about working with people who work with them. I've had opportunities to collaborate with with other people who I know have also collaborated with with Shermer, for example, and I'm really, really uh, reticent to do that. Is there anything that they could do that would make you change your mind? Uh, no, I, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to sound close-minded about it, but I, I feel like one of the problems with the atheist skeptic community in general is that we're not willing to move on from people. I mean, I think that, you know, we, we look at people like Shermer or Carrier or others who are, who have a very high, big profile in our community. And we think, okay, yeah, they did some bad things, but maybe we can rehabilitate them. Maybe we can salvage them. All right. And, and actually, I hate to do this. I hate, but I got to yeah. cut you off because we are actually about done with our time for this one. Um, but <laughs> we'll be returning with, with our guests. Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm your host, Hertzi, in studio. We are having what I would definitely can classify as a fascinating conversation with Jordan, Stephanie, and Steve. Before we continue this conversation, which will be our final segment with their guests, there's a bit of housekeeping I need to attend to. Atheist Talk is produced in, with funding from Minnesota Atheists and Cucumbers Restaurants in Edina. Please consider visiting our sponsors, and if you do, let them know that you appreciate their support of Atheist Talk. If you'd like to advertise on this program and help keep us on the air, please contact us at radio at mnatheist.org. I also want to note that our group of dedicated volunteers and generous donations of you, our listeners, you keep Atheist Talk on the air and in podcast form. I'd also like to note our donors of the week. Uh, we don't have any new patrons, but we did have our Flying Spaghetti Monster dinner in which we had two, three wonderful uh, donators, Matthew and Nancy Hertz, and George Kane, and the rest and everyone else who attended the dinner. Thank you so, so much for helping keep us on the air. Personally, I like to use this show to learn more about what our community is doing and where we're going. And if you are able to help with a donation, please consider doing so at either our Radio Fund page or at our Patreon at www patreon.com slash atheist talk minnesota atheist is a 501c3 tax deductible organization and we couldn't do the show without you and we deeply appreciate your support music for atheist talk is by composer and member brent michael davis and is used with permission please note all opinions of the guests and hosts are are of the host, guests and hosts only and do not necessarily reflect those of the minnesota atheist organization as always check the minnesota atheist website for podcasts and previous programs you can browse articles book reviews and peruse the calendar for upcoming events you can also sign up for the make atheist weekly email which will give you links to upcoming events it's a great way to stay connected with the community and let you know all the activities going around the twin cities if you enjoy the show and all that Minnesota Atheist has to offer, please consider becoming a member of Minnesota Atheist while you're on the website. Membership has some great perks. Check out how on the website. With all that relevant and very useful information out of the way, let's get back to our conversation with Jordan, Stephanie Zavan, and Steve Shai. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, so we kind of left off with Steve. He were answering a question in regards to the Netflix scandal. Or no, no, I'm sorry, the Trump, we were talking about Trump, I think. No, Sherman. Yeah. Sorry, I had to go through, like, the layers. There are so many. I know, I know. It's almost like there's there's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to keep them straight. Uh, well, and then we, we had moved on then to specifically speaking about the way the problem is, has manifested itself in atheist and secular spaces. And, yes. Um, 
right before the break, I, I was saying that I, to me personally, I think that when someone like uh, Michael Shermer or Richard Carrier uh, in our community, in our circles, is uh, be, becomes uh, known as being uh, a very problematic person, let's just say, uh, in terms of sexual harassment, um, I, I'm I'm not someone who necessarily supports uh, you know, continually looking for reasons to give them second and third and fourth chances. Um, I, I think the atheist community should be a little better at, uh, saying, okay, you know, we gave you a shot and we don't think you're someone we want. We, we really want to have around anymore. So we're just going to politely decline to invite you to things from now on. And we can fill your spot with other people. You know, there are so many brilliant people in, in the atheist secular community that could be lifted up to fill the shoes of people like Shermer and Carrier and others who are uh, the subjects of these accusations uh, that make people feel like they would rather not have them around. Um, that I feel like, it, you know what, we, we'll, we'll be okay without them. You know, you don't have to invite them. You don't have to promote them. You can focus on on other people uh, who are worth hearing out and listening to. So, Stephanie, I, I was going to say, I wouldn't, I'm not even going to ask if you would be willing to have any of either of those guys on, because I'm pretty sure the answer is no. Well, you know, Richard Carrier suing me for talking about this stuff. So, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I think my lawyer would consider that a bad idea, <laughs> uh, just flat out, if for no other reason. Um, but, yeah, no, and I mean, part of that is because one of the things that I'm trying to do is specifically give more people a platform, get people out there who you wouldn't otherwise have heard from, uh, get more women speaking, get more people of color speaking, get more people who work as volunteers and behind the scenes and not just writing and, and sorry, Steve, podcasting and YouTubing. Um, hey, get, my whole group is volunteers. <laughs> exactly. And I'm taking two of them and putting them actually on stage. You don't know this yet. On stage at Skepticon next weekend, in addition to them doing a workshop. So I am so jealous. We're actually going to be talking about who we give platforms to, interestingly enough. This is a complete say, coincidence that we're doing this Maddie, show. Maddie, if you are listening, you need to promote the show. <laughs> I mean, promote your own show first. Promote your own show first, but then please, please, please promote us. Yeah, I'm, and I'm, I mean, I'm doing that in part because, because I don't want anybody to think these people are indispensable that we can't have a movement without them um, because we had a movement before they came along. We'll have a movement after they're gone. Um, but setting up a small group of people as the ones who we always hear from, the people who we always put on stage, really, I mean, it just sets up the kind of power imbalances that people can take advantage of for this sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say yeah, that that kind of leads into the mythicist Milwaukee, which I didn't want to specifically put out, but it's like, you know, the Carl Sarkeesian, he filled up that audience with his supporters, and that definitely gives a power imbalance. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, and this is one of those things, he's somebody who grew more or less his own platform on 
uh, YouTube, we're talking about Carl Benjamin, otherwise known as Sargon of Akkad, um, who was a thoroughly defeated historical figure, so I'm not really sure why he chose that name, but I, I'm not going to reach out and ask him. Um, and there, you know, it's a group called Mythicist Milwaukee that put on what they call the Myth Information Conference, um, which I also think is an interesting choice of names. But um, they decided, and apparently this was part of a strategy for their group for about a year or so, that what they really wanted to do was just get their stuff in front of most people that was their mission that became their mission um and so they brought in this guy who um you know he came up through gamergate through the whole organized harassment of women who have opinions about video games and has moved on to literally claim that Feminism is a mental illness, um, who has tweeted at a, a British member of parliament, he's also British, um, that he wouldn't even rape her. Um, uh, Sounds and, like a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, he's not the first person who I would choose to put on stage. <laughs> he's probably not even the last person I would choose to put on stage because I have options. Oh, yeah. I was going to be like, I, I, I would rather have the, the corpse of Mr. Rogers on stage <laughs> than this guy. <laughs> Because it would probably be more entertaining. <laughs> because Mr. Rogers is the greatest person ever. I'm just well, going to throw that out there. Well, yeah. There, I mean, there's that, obviously. Um, but so out, of more, out of morbid curiosity, what would he have to do for you to, say, let him do a guest blog on your in your group? <laughs> <laughs> um, and Steve, you better think about this because you're next. <laughs> Be an entirely different human being. I mean, there are there are people who are um, working with folks who have been anti-feminist, who have um, drummed up basically harassment against certain figures. Um, Cult of Dusty is one of them. He's turned around Dusty Smith from some of the stuff that he used to do. Um, because apparently Trump getting elected shocked him. Um, <laughs> and there are some others, but honestly, I mean, first I've been the target of some of this harassment, not specifically from them, but I don't have any particular obligation to turn the other cheek. This was not something that, you know, I grew up with being indoctrinated with. And it's not something that anybody has ever given me a good reason for. Um, so, no, that's not something I'm going to do. If other people want to work with them, that's their choice, but not me. And Steve, what would it take for, for Carl to guest on your on your YouTube channel? There's there's nothing he could possibly do that would convince me. I I I I'm not interested in 
in facilitating any kind of redemption that he would try to attain. And I don't think he's even remotely interested in that. His his arc has been just getting progressively more and more awful. Uh, and I don't think he's he's remotely entertaining the idea of of trying to reform or trying to apologize or trying to you know come around and be a more reasonable person he's he what he thinks what he's doing is working and he's going to continue just being vile and harassing people as long as that's profitable to him um and there's nothing he could do i i there's 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 nothing i can imagine that he could do to convince me to have him as a guest on my channel or for me to be a guest on his channel i think engaging with him is a complete waste of time, and there's nothing he could possibly do. So, interesting side question, because he's mentioned um, that he's just, you know, most of this is him doing it for profits. Do you think he's an actual true believer in the stuff he's spouting, or do you think that most of this is just trying to shock value or whatever? I don't care. Um, I can't read minds. I'll take him at his word. Um, and, you know, if he were playing a part, it wouldn't make him really any better or worse. So, Yeah, I would say the same thing. It's I, I, That question comes up a lot, and I think it's, it's an interesting question maybe to entertain, but ultimately I don't think it's really that important. I mean, he does what he does, and what he does has a tremendously negative impact both on the people that he targets and on the spaces that he occupies in general. He's an incredibly toxic person, and, and, and he's not alone. There are so many other people who do basically the same act that are toxic influences that just – incite abuse and harassment against people and whether they're true believers or they're just doing it for you know a career for money is is irrelevant to me awesome well this unfortunately is going to have to be the end of our show but thank you for tuning in to atheist talk we'd love to have you join us again next sunday which should be another exciting episode i'm proud to be a member um, on the air with Minnesota Atheists, and I hope that you've enjoyed the show. The show depends on the generous support of our members, our sponsors, and our donors. Please consider supporting the show through the donation link at mnatheist.org or through our Patreon page. The podcast for the show should be on the radio page as soon as we're able. Have a great Sunday, and remember to stick around for the brief commercial break for American Atheist Viewpoint. American Atheist Viewpoint. I'm Nick Fish, National Program Director for American Atheists, and thank you as always for joining us. I just got back from a week uh, on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and while I was in Washington, the House Republican Ways and Means Committee uh, released their version of a tax overhaul bill. Um, This bill is uh, intended to cut taxes on uh, corporations, on individual payers. Um, It includes a number of um, changes to our tax code. But the most important thing that um, I want to highlight for uh, the folks who listen to this is right at the very end, literally the second to last page of the bill is uh, Title V, sub- Subtitle C, uh, Requirements for Organizations Exempt from Tax. Um, this is uh, buried at the bottom of this tax reform bill, uh, this tax cut bill, is a 
semi-repeal of the Johnson Amendment. This isn't a, just a repeal of the Johnson Amendment, though. This is an exemption, uh, a new exemption for churches. Um, and what it says is it's a, quote, special rule relating to campaign statements of churches, integrated auxiliaries, etc. And what it allows is for churches and integrated auxiliaries to continue to operate as churches, to continue to receive all the benefits of 501c3 uh, status, um, including the tax deduction for their donors, um, even if they engage in statements um, which are which would normally be classified as participating or intervening in political campaigns um, on behalf of or in opposition to candidates for public office. Um, what this allows them to do is um, it, it says I'm just going to I'm going to read it here. It says. Uh, for purposes of subsection C3, that's 501C3, an organization shall not fail to be treated as organized and operated exclusively for a religious purpose, nor shall it be deemed to have participated in or intervened in any political campaign on behalf of or in opposition to any candidate for public office solely because of the content of any homily, sermon, teaching, dialectic, or other presentation made during religious services or gatherings, but only if the preparation and presentation of such content is a in the regular uh, excuse me is in the ordinary course of the organization's regular and customary activities in carrying out its exempt purpose and b results in the organization incurring not more than a de minimis incremental expense that's it that's the giant loophole that would blast a hole in our nation's campaign finance system and in our nation's uh, religious structures uh, that would allow churches to essentially be completely unaccountable um, on matters related to political speech. Now, it's important to say here that the tax code and this bill itself does not specify what a de minimis incremental expense is. Um, and even if it did, we have no way of knowing if the church is incurring an incremental de minimis expense, um, de minimis meaning only a slight increase, um, because they don't file their Form 990s. They're exempt from even the most basic transparency standards. They don't have to say how much money they're spending in general on anything. And so this presents a number of um, really troubling uh, possibilities. Um, a, a megachurch pastor who broadcasts every single Sunday to millions of people um, on television um, could very easily um, exchange um, an endorsement um, for a candidate, um, not just for the heck of it, but also for money. Um, the, uh, the it would be trivially easy for a, a super pastor, a, a pastor of a of a mega church, um, to exchange for donations to the church um, that endorsement, his or her endorsement, um, and there'd be no way of knowing about it. The campaign could give money directly to the church and it would be a tax exemption. The candidate could give money to a church and it would be an exemption. A huge donor. Um, you know, we're talking about the influence of millionaires and billionaires in our elections. And one of them could very easily walk into the church and say, that's a really nice soup kitchen you have there. And boy, would I like to fund it. Uh, but I'm only going to give you this money if you endorse candidate X um, for you know, local um, for state representative or for state senator or for U.S. representative or for, for president. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, th that's a problem. And we would have no way of knowing it. Um, the other thing that's interesting here is that it says that uh, the actions of the church, um, the, the exemption um, is only for things that are done in the ordinary course 
of the organization's regular and customary activities. Um, now, that what they're intending that to mean is for sermons, right? It's for people who are uh, getting up there and, you know, in the moment, they're talking about the issue of the day and they say, oh, and by the way, this candidate uh, doesn't support or doesn't view things the way we do. This candidate isn't a good Christian, therefore you shouldn't vote for them. Um, but they're, they, I think they're forgetting that not every religious organization looks like mainline Protestant or evangelical uh, Protestantism, um, that there are a number of uh, religious demographics that go out and knock on doors. And as a person who's worked in, the, in a field department for a political campaign, I can tell you that one of the biggest expenses um, is for going out and knocking on doors. And the people who do that, the, the LDS church, the Mormons, um, and you know the Jehovah's Witnesses as well, obviously, uh, but Jehovah's Witnesses don't currently engage in too much politics, uh, but the LDS church absolutely does. You know, you look back at Proposition 8, um, the, they view those door-to-door um, canvases of uh, people to talk of of neighborhoods to talk about saving their soul. They view that as a ministry. That's the whole point. They view that as um, as as the regular and ordinary and customary activities. They view that as a homily, as a sermon, as teaching. Um, and so, what you're doing is saying that on Sunday, the pastor can say, "All right." Here's who we're voting for, church. Uh, now go, go spread the good word. And you get all these people together to go do electioneering. And that is exempt. And by the way, you're not spending any money on that. Or you're only spending an incremental amount of money on that. So you're turning every single church into a get-out-the-vote operation for your preferred candidate. The, and and by the way, the money that goes to this, the money that goes to printing materials, the money that goes to you know busing people um, around, that goes to um, building a bigger uh, sanctuary so you can have more people come in and hear the political message, that's all tax deductible. And they're they're saying that this is like a compromise. This is this is no big deal. Um, they're saying that you know this is this is a, a common sense change. No, it's not. This is opening the door. This is opening the floodgates to so much money, even more money coming into our political system. And on top of that, they're not just allowing anybody to engage in the sort of activity. This isn't about free speech like they keep saying it is. If it was about free speech, they'd repeal it for everybody. Instead, what they're doing is repealing it for churches and only for churches. They're exempting a particular type of church and saying that, um, you know, the, the, the types of groups that engage in homilies and sermons and whatever – that that's that's the normal way, and so we're going to exempt that. Uh, but what about other types of groups? I mean, they're not they're not the only ones who engage in religious practices, and so what they're doing is paying off their donors. What they're doing is um, giving a big fat giveaway to people like uh, Focus on the Family, who, by the way, have said this doesn't go far enough. Really, they're saying it doesn't go far enough. So there's a lot here um, in this little tiny section of the bill. Uh, this is something that the nonprofit community is united against. Um, and on top of that, given that they are um, singling out churches for more special treatment, um, American Atheist will and has threatened already to file a lawsuit as soon as this is signed, if it's signed in its present form. And I'm confident that many other, um, many other secular organizations will be doing the same. Uh, that's all the time I have for this week. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us. For more information about our work, please visit www.atheist.org. Thanks so much, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.